we turn our attention to today's scripture reading, we turn to the Gospel of John chapter 20. Admittedly, all of our days bleed together. The calendar still brings us to Sunday, the day of resurrection hope. Listen to the Word of God, John chapter 20. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved and said, They've taken the Lord out of the tomb. We don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter, who was behind him, arrived and went into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there as well as the burial cloth that had been around Jesus' head. The cloth was folded up by itself, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes, but Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head, the other at the foot. They asked her, Woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. Woman, he said, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said, Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet returned to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am returning to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. Let me pray that God would apply his word to our hearts. Father in heaven, we are grateful for your gospel message, for the power of truth to speak into the sadness and sorrow of our lives. Lord, for those that are burdened today, I pray that they would find peace and comfort. For those that that come with doubts. I pray that your word would provide answers for us. Father, we come as a needy people, needing you to show us what is true. We come now in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. Over the last few weeks, I saw some headlines that announced Easter is canceled. Now, of course, you can't actually cancel a day on the calendar. But we feel the the weight of that cancellation. We're not gathered here together in worship. You don't have the immersive experience of of having organ music wrap itself around you and the voices of, of the gathered congregation engulf you in praise. We're separated from one another in living rooms, in apartments. Some of us gathered only with immediate family, others completely alone. And so it feels today like Easter is canceled. The things we'd been looking forward to aren't happening. 
we can't gather with extended family. You're not traveling to grandmom's house today. And that disappointment, that longing for, for the fellowship with family, the fellowship with church family and worship, that, that captures something of what we have on the morning of the very first Easter Sunday. We have the women who go, while it's still dark, to the tomb. Not in anticipation that today is Sunday, a day of resurrection hope. Today is the first day of disappointment. Today is a day in which they'll finish the burial preparations after the Sabbath has been completed. See, when we look at John chapter 20, our, our hopes, we feel like, have been dashed. We had such great expectations, if you've been reading through the gospel, of Jesus' ministry. That Jesus was the promised king, the one who is truly here. And yet Thursday night brought the surprise arrest under cover of darkness. And then through the night, the, the travesty of, of injustice as Jesus was, was condemned to die. And by Friday afternoon, Jesus the Savior is dead. Hope has been extinguished. And when the women come to the tomb, they come expecting a dead body. That's what we read here at the beginning of, of John 20, that early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb. She saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. She then goes running, verse 2, to tell Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved. She said, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb we don't know where they have put him. Peter and John, that he's the other disciple, the one who wrote this for us. They go running to the tomb. John, likely the much younger of the two, arrives there first. He wins the foot race and he looks inside but doesn't enter. Peter, entering the tomb then, they see in verse 6 the, the strips of linen lying there. As well as verse 7, the burial cloth that had been around Jesus' head, the cloth was folded up by itself separate from the linen. The body is gone. The grave robbers have clearly taken their time to unwrap the body and then refold the headcloth. See, see, here, the disciples are still not anticipating the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Yes, John is, is beginning to see the truth. He, he tells us that he's beginning to believe. But they didn't come to the tomb on this day by faith. They came at, at the desperation of Mary. The, the tomb is empty. The body has been stolen. Jesus is gone. And, and perhaps then this is a glimpse of the historical reliability of this eyewitness account given to us in Scripture. For if this was a mere invention, if the resurrection of Jesus from the dead was, was a fable, a story, a concoction of the disciples, then surely they would have written this story differently. They would have come in eager anticipation with the band playing in front of them, songs of resurrection, hope on this Sunday morning. But no, what have, how have they come? They've come in a foot race, curious as to why the body of Jesus has been stolen. They come disappointed because their expectations have not been met. They come as those who are confused. And so in verse 10, we read that the disciples went back to their homes. But Mary, in verse 11, stood outside the tomb crying. And she wept, broken by the death of Jesus 
the Savior. Feeling the weight of the sorrow and sadness of this morning, now turning to dawn. And you and I feel that sorrow and sadness. We feel the isolation of being alone. Or perhaps what this isolation has done is is shown that the relationships we thought we'd been relying on, that they weren't as strong as we thought. That the friends that we've counted on were friends of mere convenience. And now the distance separates us, we feel completely isolated. We feel the the sorrow and sadness of, of sickness, a fear of death, ones we love being diagnosed with disease, watching the the numbers creep up as we see the, the, the news reports. And even if you are able to be at home with quarantined together with family members, you feel the stress of that. Your anger quickly rises to the surface. You have no escape. Relationships being fractured. On this Easter Sunday, we feel the weight of sorrow and sadness. We have the worry and fear that our jobs will be lost. Lives will be taken from us. And any sense of control we had is now gone. That's where Mary is, staring into the tomb. Verse 11 says, As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb, staring into the face of death with brokenness and sorrow. Earlier this week, I heard a radio interview with a medical doctor, Dr. Tatiana Prowl. She's an oncologist on the faculty at Johns Hopkins. She was being interviewed because her her, her brother-in-law's father, who is also a medical doctor, he's now in his 80s, and they affectionately all call him Papa Doc. Papa Doc had been infected with the COVID-19 virus. And so the, the family needed to make quick decisions to get him into, uh, into care in the hospital as his disease began to progress. But, but she says, even as a medical doctor, they, they realized they, they'd forgotten to take the few extra minutes there in the parking lot of the, the hospital. I mean, the, the need wasn't immediate that, that, he, that he had to get in with the next couple of minutes. But she says that, that, that when, when that time comes, take 10 minutes talk to each other. Say what you need to say. She she said, I didn't think to do that, and I'm a physician. The families drive their member up to the ER, and that's it. The people who die, they'll never lay eyes on again. And this medical doctor who's reflecting on her own family's experience then, then begins to go deeper into the meaning and significance of death. Dr. Tatiana Prowl says, I think a lot about death. I've attended a lot of deaths as an oncologist. A lot. I've been a doctor for 21 years, and I've been an oncologist for for 16 or, or 17 of those years. I've been a witness to death a lot of times. And there are a lot of things that distinguish a good death from a bad death. A good death is one in which you are free of pain. You, you're, you have closed all of your loops. You don't feel like you're dying with unfinished business on the part of the person who's dying or on the part of the survivors. See, that's the thing. If you're prepared, if you aren't surprised by death, those are the people that have a good death. I think there's just some sort of peace 
and resolution in the end of suffering. That's what she describes as a good death, and she contrasts it with a, with a bad death. See, these coronavirus deaths, she says, are the exact opposite of that. It's the worst death. No one is prepared for it. No one has closed the loop. No one got the logistics ready. No one did the hard emotional work of making sure everyone said what they needed to say, and people have forgiven whom they needed to forgive. To forgive. None of that's been done. It's a lot to think about people dying alone. Now, the reporter ends this part of the interview with a note of thanks. She says, I I so appreciate you, Dr. Prow. Thank you. But I definitely want you to go back to saving people's lives. And it's at that point that the doctor realizes she's being paid. She's being summoned to go attend to someone in great need. And so the interview cuts off there. And there's a reason we should be giving thanks to those on the front line, those who have been exposed to death those who have sat at the bedside when family members are kept away. And, and perhaps there's, there, w- there would be more if we had opportunity to sit down with Dr. Prowl. Maybe she'd have more to say to us about the deeper underlying meaning of, of what she's describing. But was, was that interview enough? Is that what makes a death a good death? That you've had enough time that you've said goodbye, that you've made all of the arrangements, that you've forgiven those that need to be forgiven. Now, I think there's a lot of practical wisdom in Dr. Prowl's insights. She, with the, the gentle bedside manner of an oncologist who loves her patients and is filled with optimism, offers words of hope, but they're, they're words of hope that take us only to the point of death itself. That moment of death. They can't handle the reality of death. To, to describe a death as a good death means we just have to accept it. We just have to say, well, there's nothing that can be done. There's nothing you or I could do. It's inevitable. It's here. We just have to face it. See, when we stare into the face of death, are the comforting words of, of a physician enough for us? Do we need a longer answer to the question the reporter asked? Do we need a deeper answer? Because Mary is here staring into the tomb. Do you see, but the biblical answer to death, yes, offers practical insights that you should forgive those that need to be forgiven. You should seek forgiveness, but not merely from the people around you, not merely from the family members you leave behind, not merely from those who will survive you. You need to seek forgiveness from God himself. And that's what the gospel offers us, is not merely a a way for us to be prepared for the moment of death, but an answer to death itself, a conquering of death by emptying the grave of its power. When when Mary stares into this empty tomb now, she's weeping. And, And verse 11 says, as she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb. And verse 12 of John chapter 20, and she saw two angels in white, seated where Jesus's body had been, one at the head, the other at the foot. See, you and I, in our moment of death, we would be blessed to have a kind and compassionate doctor at our side, to have family gathered around us in prayer or in worship. But we need more than that. We need a divine messenger. We need an answer from heaven. We need God himself to intervene, and that's what he has done. He sent his angels, his messengers. They are there in the tomb where the body of Jesus had been. And they ask her, woman, why are you crying? 
See, today is not a day for tears. Today is a day of gospel hope. Today is a day in which which we rightly understand when we see what has happened here at the tomb of Jesus, the transforming power for our own lives. She says, they have taken my Lord away, and I don't know where they have put him. But see, it's not a mere announcement from angels that gives us hope. It's not merely that God sent messengers from heaven. God himself has come down from heaven for us. Because Mary, in verse, verse 13, in verse 14 then, of John chapter 20, at this she turned around and she saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize it was Jesus. Woman, he said, why are you crying? He repeats the question of the angels, but then he, he, he goes further. Who is it you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell, tell me where you have put him, and I will get him. She doesn't recognize him at first. She thinks he's a mere attendant at the garden. Now, in irony, once again, John is showing us a deeper significance. Jesus is the great gardener with a capital G, the one who made the Garden of Eden, the one who made the heavens and the earth for us to live in, to sustain us. And he's here in the garden of the resurrection to bring gospel hope, to bring the newness of creation. But, but she thinks he's just, he's just a gardener with dirty hands who's been digging in the dirt, trying to, trying to bring forth life in this arid soil. Where have you put him? I will get him. She's still looking for a dead body to finish the ritual that had to be cut short because of the impending Sabbath. She had been there at the foot of the cross and watched Jesus die. And remember who Mary is. Luke's gospel tells us in in Luke chapter 8 that she's one of the women who follows Jesus, along with the 12, the the apostles who follow Jesus. We're told in Luke chapter 8 verse 2, there were also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had come out. Now, Mary was such a common name in the first century, and even if you read through the Gospels, it's a clearly a common name. And so we have to distinguish her. She is Mary from Magdala. She is the Magdalene. We call Jesus, Jesus the Nazarene, because he's from Nazareth. She's from a town called Magdala in Galilee, on the shores of Galilee. So she's Mary Magdalene, telling us where she is from. But, but, but Luke tells us that she follows Jesus because she had had seven demons cast out from her. Jesus had found her in, in distress, spiritual, physical, emotional, overwhelming distress, and Jesus had transformed her life. And so her sadness on this morning is because the one, the teacher, the Savior who had cured her has been taken from her. And so she's still begging, just tell me where his body is so I can continue to show love and devotion to him. But then back in John chapter 20, verse 16, Jesus reveals himself to her with one word, Mary. Now perhaps it was the the way he said her name. Perhaps there was something of the intimacy, but, but, but maybe it's just the supernatural revelation being now given to her. Having seen angels, realizing now that they were angels, now standing before a man she thought was merely a gardener and realizing he is Jesus. And so she turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabbani. The word rabbi, it means teacher. John translates it for us. 
She's clinging to him, so Jesus says, don't hold on to me. I have not yet returned to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I'm returning to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Jesus reveals himself to Mary, one whose life has been transformed by gospel hope. He announces that he now is here, raised from the dead. The reason she couldn't find a body is not that it had been stolen, but that he had stood up and walked out of the tomb. By divine power, Jesus has conquered death itself. And so his answer to her weeping is not merely to weep alongside her, which he has done earlier in this gospel, weeping alongside family that are broken and battered. No, his answer ultimately to the problem of death is not merely to prepare you for the moment of your own death, but to prepare you for life after death itself. Jesus is conquering the grave. And notice what he does here is he, revealing this truth to her, now makes her the first evangelist, the first witness to this good news, the first one given the task of announcing the resurrection of Jesus. And again, this is a detail that, that, that isn't surprising to us as modern people, people who live here in this part of the world. Because we have strong women in our lives to whom we have turned for for guidance and instruction. We trust their word. But remember, in the ancient world, in this Greco-Roman world, women were not worth listening to. They were not reliable witnesses. They could not, even if you had a group of women who had all witnessed the same thing, they could not be counted on in court. And yet, what does Jesus do? Here at the moment of greatest importance in all of history, From the point of of the the creation of the world through the very end of the world, at this moment, this grand moment, he invites Mary to be the witness, to be the the announcer of resurrection hope. See, in the ancient world, the the, the idea was they can't be trusted. Celsus, a second century critic of Christianity, he continued to mock Christianity for, for decades, for centuries, because Christians relied on the testimony of women. He called the idea that Mary Magdalene was was an alleged witness— to the, to the resurrection, he refers to her as a hysterical female deluded by sorcery. That's what the ancient world thought. And yet Jesus sees in her the image of God. He'd seen her broken by living in a sinful world, it, possessed by seven demons, her body destroyed by the ravages of a sinful world. And yet he had redeemed her, restored her, cast out the demons, and now he's offering her a greater hope than that the hope of the resurrection. And Jesus places in her his confidence, a picture that that this is not a story these disciples made up. If they thought this was going to be something difficult to believe, then they wouldn't have let women weasel their way into this story. They would have pushed them to the side and made themselves the heroes because that's what would have made sense culturally for them. No, why? Why does John include this detail? Because Mary had been the one who came and told him, you've got to come. The tomb is empty. They've taken Jesus away. Why does John include this detail? Because Jesus himself sent Mary back to the the disciples with this news. I have seen the Lord. See, she had first gone to them with the news of an empty tomb. She had first gone to them in confusion, in sorrow and sadness. The tomb is empty. They've taken Jesus away. But now she is sent with true and living hope. I have seen the Lord. Jesus, who died on Friday, who took our sins upon him, has now been raised from the dead. I saw him standing in the garden. He spoke to me. He said my name. He sent me here to tell you that he has now been raised from the dead. 
that now is a moment in which we need to be prepared and to take this gospel message to the world. Jesus will return to his Father and send us with the mission. I have seen the Lord. Do you find your hope in this truth today? Not the reading of this gospel account as a fable or fairy tale, but the the reality for your own life. Notice how Mary makes it personal. She doesn't just describe the fact that, that, that Jesus has been raised. She, she, she recognizes that she had the privilege of being a witness. He has transformed her life, not merely earlier in the Gospels, but here at this moment of resurrection. I have seen the Lord. Have you come to that place where you've seen the power of the resurrection? Jesus raised from the dead. Are you willing to admit your your desperate need for Jesus? Your utter dependence upon him. Your hopelessness in this life and your hopelessness in the face of death itself. Yes, you could prepare yourself for what the world might call a good death. By now, calling and asking for forgiveness from a family member that you have offended. By preparing yourself and, and, and saying goodbye to the ones you love. But can you be prepared for death? For the moment of death, for the moment after your death, come to Jesus and find in him your Savior. Jesus, the King of the Jews who died in the place of sinners. Jesus, the one who took your sin and mine upon himself. Jesus, the one who extends forgiveness from the cross by taking your sin away. Put your trust in him. Confess your sins. And do you see, church, if you've already put your trust in Christ, do you see what this means for us? That to be witnesses to the resurrection, having read this account, having, having been given this good news so that we might believe. We, we heard that last week in chapter 19. We, we, we'll see it again in chapter 21 if you continue reading through the gospel. That the, these words were written that you might know that you have eternal life, that you might believe in Jesus. So if you've put your trust in Christ, do you see how the resurrection makes you a witness? One who is called, not merely to, to, to just say, oh, here are the basic facts, but one who is in joy, able to say with Mary, I have seen the Lord. And so go as witnesses. Now, you can't physically go anywhere. You're stuck right where you're at. But that means you don't need to take extra time in your day to, to drive to grandma's house. So you have extra time today. Pick up your phone and call someone that needs to know this gospel message. I mean, I've been surprised that, that people who would, who would be quick to text or even reply to an email will now actually pick up their phones, use the device that they've been carrying around as an actual phone, take time to call someone in need today. Share with them this link of this service today so that they can hear the words of gospel hope contained in the hymns. They can, they can feel the joy of Easter Sunday, but then they can hear you say to them personally, I have seen the Lord. You and I have the privilege of being called as witnesses to this gospel hope. Can you say what Mary said? Mary, in sorrow and sadness, going to a tomb to find a dead body, is surprised by the joy announced to her. Jesus is not in the tomb, he is risen. And he sends her as a witness. He sends us as his witnesses so that we can declare to a world in need, I have seen the Lord.
let me pray that God would apply his word to our hearts and lives. Father in heaven, we thank you for this gospel hope given to us in your word today. Father, we thank you that that the truth of Jesus Christ is heard in the words of our songs, is heard in the announcement of Scripture. Father, we thank you that we have the hope to face death because Jesus, our Savior, has been raised from the dead. And so, Lord, I pray that you you would hear us when we come to you in time of need, that those who come now to confess their sins, to put their trust in you, would find hope in Jesus Christ alone, in his resurrection from the dead. And so we come praying in Jesus' name. Amen.